It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, Episode 70. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers and also tissue boxes. <laughs> what? Do you just look at stuff on your desk? Did you have an emu on your desk that one week when you said emu? Yeah, last week. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. And this week I literally looked across the room and saw a tissue box and that's what I said. <laughs> uh, tissue box is also appropriate because my microphone has been replaced with a tissue box, um, which is why it sounds different. <laughs> I'm just on vacation, <laughs> don't have all my fancy gear, but we value you so much, listeners, that we're bringing you wisdom, even from glorious Bear Lake, Utah. <laughs> I wish I was there. <laughs> it's cool. There's a beach. Nice. There's grass. They have delicious raspberry milkshakes. Oh, yeah. Those are pretty hyped up, actually, from what the I've heard. The Bear Lake raspberry milkshakes? Uh-huh. Yeah, they are. And I haven't had that many raspberry milkshakes, so it was the just by default it was the best one I've ever yeah. had. <laughs> I don't know how they'd stack up in like a real taste test, but it was really good. I had some wild Maine blueberry pie this week in Maine. That was incredible. So was the Maine wild or was the blueberry wild? Or was the yes, pie crust wild? <laughs> What's the wild it, part? It grew on wild pie crust bushes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it it just means that the pie crust had never been broken, so it didn't have a saddle. It didn't <laughs> it hasn't known the touch of the cowboy yet, <laughs> uh, which makes it gamier. It's, Un, it's, it's really, like a game, unbridled really gamey pie crust, <laughs> chewy pie crust. Um, anyways, all right, <laughs> let's get to the questions. Do you want me to read the first one? You know I do. This is from an anonymous listener. I'm a new team lead, and one of my reports is very appraisal-driven. He will help anybody that compliments his work enough and looks to work in high-visibility stuff to get, to get recognition. If he works on something with other people, he'll always be the one to present the work, and most of the developers are super happy to avoid speaking in public. All that said, he's a very good developer, and everyone knows this. Um, he's got wonderful performance reviews in the past. I think this constant search for recognition is not very healthy, and I don't know how to address it. Hmm. I wonder if you could just pay him in recognition points instead of money and save the company a whole bunch of money. <laughs> We've given you an exciting new compensation plan where you'll <laughs> you'll get a raise of negative 10%, <laughs> but also you get to run all the stand-up meetings. Yep, you get to stand in front of entire groups of engineers and be recognized yeah we even got you this little box you can stand on to be taller than everyone <laughs> <laughs> i mean some people would legitimately go for that that's way motivating to lots of people i think well i think to some extent most people are motivated by recognition i know that i am for sure and and some people are less and more but i think this trend is common in lots of people this sounds like it might be a little more of an extreme case but just like wanting to be recognized for work i think is a pretty common human sure human trait. i think we want i think we want to be appreciated yeah but not necessarily celebrated on a on like a podium you know yeah i mean if you think about it most of the bad guys in superhero movies really what they just really want is is appreciation <laughs> and recognition they just want to be understood yeah, if someone just understood Dr. Octopus, he wouldn't have gone crazy and tried yep. to kill Spider-Man. 
So <laughs> here's your chance, listener, to avoid creating a supervillain. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, this guy is on track for supervillainy. So yeah. <laughs> you've got to solve this problem. <laughs> you thought the stakes were just like, my team will be sad. Work yeah. might be a problem. No. No. <laughs> no, this involves the fate of cities or yes. worlds, depending on how super of a supervillain this person I mean, they're, they're going to be fictional cities named like Metropolis or something, but but still. Yeah, but we still care about those people. Um <laughs> So let's let's la- I'm going to latch on to some of the words here. So he says, if he works on something with other people, he'll always be the one to present the work. And most devs are super happy <laughs> to avoid speaking in public. Isn't that true though? Like there's this team has this one developer who's like, "Oh, me me, I'll 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 make the demo video or I'll get up and present in front of the group or whatever." And like most of the other developers are like, "Awesome. I'm off the hook." Right? <laughs> yeah. To some extent, this is a good thing for the team because they don't have to do the things they don't want to do. Yeah. The danger is if this person is taking credit instead of presenting the team's work saying, here's all the stuff I did in order to get more recognition. That's that's real bad. And that happens True. all the time. Oh, man. But I the question asker does not directly state that's what's happening. Right. Maybe it, maybe it implicitly happens, though. Just if some person is the face of the stuff that the team gets done, then non-technical people or people that aren't on the team just assume they're the ones driving the stuff getting done. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Is that maybe a problem? This, well, I mean, here here they say that he's a, he's a wonderful developer, and everybody knows that. Well, of course they do. <laughs> he's always standing <laughs> up and telling people how wonderful he is. But yeah. But I, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you're a new team lead and you've got this one developer who's a great developer and you know it and you know exactly what his contributions are. You probably also have people on your team who are doing great work and you don't know it. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, a much more dangerous situation. Um, on the one hand, it can be obnoxious when people seem braggy or seem like they're only motivated by the praise of others. But on the other hand, wouldn't it be tragic if you had an underappreciated developer because you just didn't know? Yeah. So they might not even be deliberately taking credit, but by just being more easily visible, they're kind of pushing pushing other people out uh, yeah. because of limited attention or something like that. This is yeah, like a I guess sibling dynamic. Wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> the squeaky grease gets the wheel kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Wait, did I just say the squeaky grease gets the wheel? <laughs> you did say it, and I was going to let it slide. It's just going to let you crash and burn. <laughs> so I have a question that has no answer because there's no no more info to be gathered from this block of text. I, I will answer it. I will answer what, it. What happens when this developer fails? If he's really appraisal-driven and um, and motivated by external feedback, what if he just takes something on and just struggles or bombs it? Yeah, does he stand up and own that or does he sweep it under the rug? Well, I feel like the danger with being really appraisal motivated is if you fail, then you just implode because you're so used to like being uh, evaluated on all the stuff you get done and how much value it provides to people. And then all of a sudden you you have failed to do that. And to some extent that's what you tie your self-worth to almost. Hmm. Well, let me respond to that question as someone who actually feels uh, quite like the person we're talking about. 
Okay. I, I am often the, the developer who stands up and presents my team's work or uh, gives, you know, gives the presentation for the rest of the company or, or whatever. Yep. Um, when I fail, and this is going to sound kind of funny, I like to make a big deal about how good I was at failing. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I like to really express and make sure everyone's clear on the mistakes that I made and that my team made and then show all of the actions we're taking to make sure that those mistakes never happen again. And I think you can fail and still get praise by failing very gracefully. <laughs> no, really. You have to look good while you do it. <laughs> I had a professor in college who uh, his field of study was um, cave crustaceans like these lobsters that live in caves that don't have any pigment and don't see because they don't need to because it's completely dark. Okay. And he was like the world's expert in this very narrow field. And he published an enormous amount of research. And he said one of the one one time he just said, like, I just write up all the stuff that fails and I submit those and sometimes they get published. That's how I publish so much. Like everyone, Wait, he, write, I don't know. he writes up what stuff that fails. What do you mean? Like experiments that didn't pan out? Yeah. He'll, so usually, usually paper, scientific papers are about successful experiments of stuff you tried that worked and he just writes up everything and submits it all. And sometimes people accept the, the write-ups of stuff that didn't work. Like he'll have his hypothesis and he'll test it and he'll be like, and it wasn't true. And here's how we know. And then just write that out and submit it. Huh. So well, sounds, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It, it sounds kind of like what you're describing, where you turn the failure into something other people can learn from. Yes. Um, I actually, by the way, I actually think that's very important as a developer. That's that's um, like the good kind of failure, though. What if the failure is like you get depressed and go home and play video games for two weeks and then you miss your deadline? You can't yeah. You can't stand up in front of the company and be like... <laughs> Here's what I learned from letting everyone down. <laughs> it's it's not like, and I accidentally chose the wrong edition of, of Linux and that caused us to overflow our buffers. It's like, right, I right. am a failure of a human being. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's one, of, one of those kind of failures is more okay to talk about than the other. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Very good point. Just never, so the, the message is never, ever fail in that way. Yes, only fail in ways that present really well. Yeah, if you're very appraisal driven, you're probably externally motivated to some extent versus internally motivated. Would you say that's accurate? Um, yeah, I think so. Maybe like maybe you're motivated by pleasing people, and it's not so much. Yeah, about there's this not intrinsic some great thing. work or labor you are trying to accomplish. So I, I, I guess. Yeah, I just feel like failure could be harder on those kind of people if you're motivated by the praise of others or, or showing things off to other people. Um, we haven't talked about how to address it at all. We've just kind of talked about yeah. it. Though. You, you seem <laughs> well, to be I'm, saying, Dave, that it's not so bad. I'm actually, yeah, I'm go. still debating whether this is even a, a problem because I think that obviously anything taken to an extreme can become a problem, including this. You know, if this guy... Uh, avoids doing hard but very important and less visible work, then that could be yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think most developers I know would actually benefit from some of this. And being able to see one of my peers exhibit these qualities, I think w could be very helpful for other developers who aren't naturally as good at self-promotion. Yeah. 
I, I think if you can identify specific problems that this behavior is causing, then you mm-hmm. might want to address those problems. And yeah. then you, you're using appraisal to motivate this person to fix those problems. <laughs> you're you're doing a judo move, turning their move their their movements against them. Um, <laughs> that that's a good point. I really like that because in the question, uh, the question asker writes, "I I think this is not very helpful, or sorry, not very healthy." And I would say, give me specific examples of why this isn't healthy. Yeah. Because I don't really see it. Yeah, I, it's very possible it's just not in the question. There's details there. And if there are, like if it's causing um, clashes with teammates because sure. other people might feel like this person is just, I don't know, out for themselves and throwing other people under the bus, you can address that mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little more easily than changing what motivates a person, which is, I think, yeah. pretty hard. You, you need like Tony Robbins skills to do that. Or like lots um, of electricity or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like maybe some DNA gene splicing or something. Yeah. So I, I think that's my only advice for how specifically to address it. Look for specific problems it's causing and address those. Just address the symptoms and sweep the underlying mm-hmm. problem under the rug. Because <laughs> it might not be an underlying problem. It might just be a personality trait. Well, that's a good point. Um, and I would also say, turn this question on its head and say, who is on my team, now that I'm a new team lead, who is not being recognized for their work? And my job as team lead is to bring those people to the forefront and celebrate their accomplishments, even if they're not shamelessly self-promoting. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that kind of unglamorous but vital work that I think every developer who's worked on a team knows has done that and knows people that do that and are drawn to that. And, and it could be your chance to celebrate that a little bit more because that stuff needs, uh, it, it often needs external champions to make people understand that it's valuable and important. I agree. Okay. Has the question been answered? I think we definitely talked about it. And I think it's it definitely needs to be, I think you need to peel the layers back one more layer and really understand what it is that bothers you about this because it sounds like you run the risk of just being annoyed and just because someone's behavior is obnoxious to you doesn't mean it's unhealthy or unproductive but it might be it might be unhealthy and unproductive Um, (laughs) i've definitely tried to convince myself before that something i didn't like was like bad for the team when really i just was bugged by it it's bad for your personal preferences yeah yeah it just made (laughs) me annoyed but I needed to suck it up. All right. So yeah, question answered. Question answered. I did not mean to end the question by saying you need to suck it up. <laughs> You're so <laughs> but mean. But good luck. <laughs> good luck. And and if if you want to, let us know what happens or, or what you uncover if you dive into it a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. I'd be interested to hear. I would absolutely love to hear. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Okay. Next question from an anonymous listener who says, have you ever experienced what I call business meeting creep where business people create a lot of meetings for devs that they don't really need to be at or invite themselves and sometimes even clients to your daily standups? What did you do about it? Who did you bring it up to? What alternatives could you suggest to business people? I have only experienced a party meeting creep where the meetings are about (laughs) partying, not business. (laughs) Um, go on (laughs) you just have more and more meetings 
Uh, I didn't think this through before. I just thought the phrase <laughs> business meeting creep was funny. I'm like, what if instead of business, it said a different word? It turns out it's not funny. <laughs> and I found that out live on the podcast. Wait, so you were, you were going for like the uh, party in the or business in the front party in the back? Um, no, I wasn't even going there. I'm not. I'm not clever enough to think of that on the fly. <laughs> just like what what other kind of meeting would it be? Just a a non-business meeting. A I think well sorry. Anyways. <laughs> no, there's no more. This needs to die. The <laughs> save me. <laughs> I think when he says business he means non-engineering meetings. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Those useless non-technical meetings that clearly have no purpose. Yeah. Just kidding. Have you experienced this? No, I've actually experienced the opposite of this, where business people are so standoffish and cautious, they kind of treat the engineers like with reverence and deference, and they're like, oh. Like I... they're like glass peaches where you can't touch them or they'll shatter. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just like a glass peach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely this like engineering meme of, don't interrupt the developers because it costs thousands of dollars for them to regain their concentration and you don't want to mess up their vitally important train of thought. And uh, sometimes I roll my eyes a little bit at that because it it kind of, um, there's a clear power structure there where it's like, we're doing the real work and when you interrupt us with your stupid non-real work stuff, it messes up the <laughs> real work. Also, yeah. I saw someone tweet, if your day is ruined by someone tapping you on the shoulder, you might have bad work habits. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I thought that was funny too. Like, Nevertheless. <laughs> let's go with the assumption that these are not the most valuable meetings. Yes. I, I would ask, what's... I mean, the business people are they're not dumb. They're doing it for some reason. Can you figure out the reason why there's all these meetings all of a sudden? Is there like deadline pressure? Uh, are customers unhappy? Do they, I don't know. Like there's, there's some force that is causing them to do this because they don't, I don't think they want to be in these useless meetings more than you do. Yeah. Um, maybe they just don't know what's going on. Right. And they're like, well, we have to go talk to the developers to figure out what's going on. Why would they bring so, clients to a stand-up? Maybe. So this has literally happened to me before where clients are just like hanging out at the office for to meet with somebody and they'll just like bring them in as uh, kind of a tour and just they'll just be standing there in the daily stand-up. It, it, that's not every day, but I've had people do that before. I also worked at a place where um, people could pay money for an unusually... Uh, invasive amount of access to the development process and team as as a client and those clients would sometimes be in the stand-ups because they had like features they wanted to get out and mm. they wanted to know the status so it's uh, like tier and, tier seven support contract yeah basically it was like <laughs> you pay us a large proportion of the total revenue that this company makes and you can be <laughs> in our stand-up Sure. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, I mean, that's a trade-off. It has effects on the devs, but also you get a bucket load of money. But that happened. Um, but they didn't, they didn't ever, like, interrupt. We didn't ever have to cater to them. They were just passive observers because the they purpose like, of yeah, the stand-up. This stand-up looks like it's running effectively. I feel like my yeah, money yeah. is well spent here. 
Yeah, basically. I mean, the the purpose of the stand up there was to communicate status to the team, and it didn't matter who else was there because they weren't. The purpose was not to communicate the status to someone who has no context on what the team is doing. Mm-hmm. So they're like, if you want, you can drop in and look at what people are saying, but you're not. I don't know. You don't ask questions because we're not trying to explain stuff to you. That's not what stand up is for. Okay, but that might be what stand up is for in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I just feel like there's some need the business people have that isn't getting met, and so they're they're one of the tools that business people have is meetings. So they're trying to use that tool to meet that need. And if you can address that need in a different way, then you can get out of meetings. If if the if the problem is they don't know what's going on, you can you can write an email to them and tell them what is going mm-hmm. on instead of having this meeting. And it still might involve more work, but it's work that you control instead of work that gets dumped on you. There may be a hole in this company's organizational structure where there is not a good liaison between engineering and the rest of the business. Yeah, and this so, is what I'd imagine like a PM would do. Yeah, exactly. Like their job is to be the go-between to both yep. batch up questions and deflect easy, easily answered questions. Yeah, they um, sometimes they fall on the meeting sword for the the developers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that could that could be missing from your organization if it's a small yeah. enough company. This this role is often filled by the CTO or the VP of engineering, who is just so plugged into the rest of the business that they can shelter the engineers' day to day work by answering questions and collaborating with the rest of the business. But if you get bigger, there will almost definitely need to be a, a non-developer person whose job is to manage the communication between the business and the engineers. And that'll actually be good not just for the engineers, but good for the rest of the business because they'll get consistent information from one source instead of just saying, well, I think we should go make a... I think we should schedule some time with Jennifer over in engineering and that should square this up. And it's like, well, maybe Jennifer's not the right person. You know, maybe... And so then, and then Jennifer sits in the meeting and goes, "Oh, you scheduled this meeting with the wrong person. <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah. need to talk to Fred. You know, and it's like a PM could help alleviate all of that stuff." Yeah. One wrinkle that is not in what we read, but is in the details this question asker gave us. This is an agency, so I imagine the clients are are like clients that you're building websites mm, for, building apps okay. for. Yep. Which changes it a lot, I think. That to me feels like the clients might not trust you maybe they're not seeing enough progress or not seeing the kind of progress they want or their expectations of how fast things go are not matching what's happening or so maybe like kind of clamping down maybe this company is set up as like a lean direct access to the developer's company and maybe this is just baked into the company structure on purpose yeah and if it's an agency then especially if they're billing I mean, more people at the company cuts into your profit margins. So having a PM is is another person that you pay. So maybe they just have fewer people working on stuff. Yeah. Which which leads to this problem of no one's job. It's not someone's job to deflect or handle these questions. Right, right. Hmm. Totally possible. But outside of that scenario, let's say let's say you just want to start slashing meetings. You're a developer, you want for some reason you don't want to go to these meetings. How do you make that clear to management and get that to happen? I We haven't even talked about the meeting that can be replaced by an email trope. Um, mm-hmm. Some of these maybe could be. If they're just asking a question, I, I do, I know people in my life that 
make me try and make me have meetings with them where it's literally one question they want to ask that they could like send me a text or an email or a phone call. And -hmm. instead they ask me to drive somewhere at a specific time to meet them to answer the question. So (laughs) some of them could potentially, you could just say like, what do you want to know? Just ask me in, in a nice way. (laughs) Hey Jameson, could you meet me for lunch tomorrow at noon? I want to ask you what version of your operating system you're running. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would meet you for lunch because I like you, Dave, and I think Aww. it'd be great. But uh, I don't know what version of my operating system I'm running. Well, you so, know, do your sorry. homework and bring the information to the meeting. <laughs> okay. And we'll talk Here's about it. Here's the agenda. Burgers. Make sure you have all these points addressed by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. kill meetings by encouraging email. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's is... a billion Slack or there's all these tools that say, well, I was going like, to say email is kind of young. Not a lot of people use it. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it's something else like Slack. Email's in its, its hipster phase where it's becoming cool again. No way. Really? Yeah. There's a backlash against chat tools like Slack about being mm-hmm. always connected. And, and have you read that 37 Signals article about yeah. how it's bad to have a meeting that's one line of text at a time? Mm hmm. Anyways. Use some tool to, to get questions answered if the meeting is to answer a question. Um, I got an idea. Hit me. Print out like a big banner and hang it in your conference rooms that says, do you really need all these people in here for an hour? And just <laughs> put that up there and see what happens. Kind of, that puts the aggressive in passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is like a comma idiot at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard, I mean, yeah, this is another thing. You have all these tools about how much does this meeting cost where you just type in the number of people, the average salary, and then it'll like tick this counter of how much (laughs) it is costing to pay all these people to sit in a meeting. Uh, Yeah, what else could they do? One of the things I've seen be really successful is to create a no meeting day or two mm. each week where you say no meetings allowed on Tuesdays and Thursdays and you get management to buy into that and then you have to police it because eventually it will deteriorate. Um, yep. But you have to you have to police it and then um, the meeting engineers entropy. can... Yeah, exactly. Engineers can rely on having uninterrupted time to work during those, those days. Yeah. If you can't pull off a whole day, then you can just... Um, meetings go on calendars and if you have a different thing on that calendar already then it's really mm-hmm. easy to say like oh, i can't do it at that time i have a contact so that, yeah exactly <laughs> that can help you batch up meetings if you just put in your calendar from like 8 to 12 or whenever your happy productive time is just put like important stuff in the calendar <laughs> um schedule some time to have uninterrupted blocks of time if that would help if the problem is um that you are having a hard time finding long periods of time. If you just have like 50 meetings in a week, that's not going to help you. Just put a block in there that says board meeting presentations and no one will, no one will uh, double book you. Like we don't have a board. We're an agency. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Don't worry. This is for my startup that I'm working on, (laughs) on company time. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) I have a board. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I do you're think not that you're on it because you question me. <laughs> <laughs> you just lost your board seat, Chance. Yeah, and board seat revoked. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that you what you what it sounds like you want is to create a culture where meetings are the exception, not the rule. And 
what I have noticed outside of engineering is that meetings are the rule, not the exception. You know, mm-hmm. in marketing and sales and others, people get real work done in meetings. But in engineering, people don't get real work done in meetings. They make decisions, they discuss alternatives, but they don't well, build and ship product, right? Yeah, you, you can get work done, but the work you do in an hour will then provide like 100 hours of typing at the keyboard work for yes, you. Exactly. And if you are, and if that one to 100 ratio is correct, then you should have one meeting every two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it can save you 100 hours too. That's also true. So you should so have maybe, maybe you two meetings. All meetings. All <laughs> the right. time. You'll get back hundreds of hours a week <laughs> by just meeting, meeting more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do think you probably want to get your leadership bought into the idea of slashing meetings for more uninterrupted time. But make sure you understand their motivation and what they really want from the engineers. Because maybe what they really want is to sell consulting hours with your clients. And they can sell that better if they see you in action and have direct access to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. There's there's some goal going on and, mm-hmm. and figure out what that is. And even if that is the goal, I think you could still work around that to come up with a less disruptive way to do it. Say, like, how many meetings with clients do you need a week to sell? Can we batch those up on a specific day or whatever, like you were saying? Yeah, yeah. Meeting day. Yep. It's it's really just like, uh, what is the village called? Potemkin Village? Hang on. I have to go this. Yeah, Potemkin (laughs) Village. Have you heard about that? No. What is that? There was this uh, queen in Russia that was visiting a, a place in her country. And she was traveling by boat down the river and mm-hmm. they just had all these oh, like yeah. cardboard pop-up stands that they would put next to the river to make it look like there are all these prosperous villages around. And then the boat would go and they'd like take them down and run around and get in front of the boat again and put them back up. It sounds kind of like that with the client meetings. <laughs> if you're using them to demonstrate the developers are working really hard, you just like put them in a room and have them mash on the keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) Or you have the developers do the same 10 standups every day. (laughs) Or, oh, no, they're on the whiteboard doing binary search tree questions. That's right. That's right. Look at all that code up there. That looks like getting real work done. If you're just drawing trees on the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. And if trees don't do it, try graphs. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, Okay, have we answered this question? Oh, yeah, definitely with that last thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sutterfuge. (laughs) That's the answer. Okay. Good luck with the meeting creep. This is a common problem. I Mm -hmm. think the solution is usually context-dependent, though. Yeah. I think so, too. And as with everything in engineering, finding out the reason behind the issue is valuable. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that answers that. Where can people go to get their own questions answered, Dave? Go hit us up on the World Wide Internet Web at softskills.audio, where you can submit a question using our little button. Click Ask a Question. You can also use that same form to send us feedback or tell us interesting outcomes to the questions that you have asked and that we have answered on the air. That would be excellent. We love getting questions. I actually genuinely enjoy reading them, and we read a lot of them even if we don't answer them all. We're getting to them, though. (laughs) So thank you for sending your questions in. Also, please share the show. If you like it, tweet about it. We've had some good 
tweets recently from people that have enjoyed it, and that makes us feel good. And it mm-hmm. also helps other people find the show. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.